Uh, chapter 2, verse 18, we're going in, into this city by the name of Theatra, okay? And uh, Theatra is kind of in between uh, Pergamum and Sardis. And it's, it's kind of a well-known town for uh, its, its various guilds of dyers, right? So, uh, you know, in the Bible, you meet up with Lydia in Acts. Um, and she's a dyer of purple cloths. And so, you know, color uh, and, and clothing uh, is, is kind of important in the Roman world. And that's, that's really what the Atra was, was very well uh, known for, founded by the Macedonians. Uh, as we jump into it, there's just a lot loaded into this little section of Scripture that I think speaks to us. And just, just remember what's going on. Every single one of these churches that we're learning about, right, they have things that they're doing well, things that Jesus Christ looks at and says, man, I'm going to commend you for this, okay? This church has a lot of that. But then they have some things that are deadly. And uh, what, what I extract out of this Scripture always is, Okay, how does this apply to us, all right, as a body of people? What are some things that Jesus would say to us? Look, these things I had against this church in Theatra. So pay attention to them, all right? And then the last thing is you always receive at the end of the letter what we're going to call a warning. And I always pay attention to that because it's, it's, it's pretty significant the way that Jesus speaks to, to his church is very, in very strong language. Okay, this begins that way, uh, to the angel of the church in Theatra write the words of the Son of God. Okay, up to this point, all of the letters start off referring back to kind of that opening scene where John is in worship. He's, uh, if you picture him, he's, he's proskuneo, the Greek word for, for worship, is literally to just submit yourself into God's hands. Okay. And so um, we see John uh, worshiping on the Lord's day. Uh, he's a prisoner uh, because of his faith when he hears the voice of, of Jesus. And Jesus, uh, as he turns to look at him, is kind of this, this layered person. And I say layered because all the different pictures of him kind of come out of the Old Testament. And what, what John is seeing is, oh my goodness, there's Jesus. And he's a kind of a rendering of the whole of what the prophets talked about uh, in the Old Testament. This is the first time that he's called the Son of God, right? So there's no mistaking any of these letters. Uh, they are not, they're penned by John, right? But they're not John's thoughts. They're not, hey, I think you should do this. Or I th they're, they're distinctly from Jesus Christ. Notice the, the two pictures that he gives us of Jesus. He has, he has eyes that are like flames of fire. Hey, I always think about this, that Jesus is about purification, right? About making us new people. And uh, that's not, not our outsides, okay? It's our insides. It's our faith. Uh, in, in Dallas, you know, one of the things that you kind of get used to are all of these, um, we're going to make you look better kinds of operations, Right? So in, in Dallas, you drive away and drive around and they've got billboards advertising, you know, facelifts. And uh, excuse me, I'm going to try to do this as politely as I can. Hand enhancements, hand enhancements. You, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. And they even now have drive-through liposuction. 
Drive-through lipo. Can you imagine that? You're like, yeah, could you take about five off today? Go with yeah, go ahead and tube it. Thank you very much. And you go, I'm like, what in the world? So people spend billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. We're going to try to make our outsides look better, right? What is Jesus Christ interested in? Eyes of fire. They look through all of that, and they look at our hearts and our minds. How many of you are really glad that nobody has invented a machine as of yet that you put a little hat on, and it actually puts all your thoughts up on a big screen? Would that be bad? Yeah, oh no. Oh no, 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 no. Why? Well, those eyes are meant to do what? To purify us, all right? To refine us. And so what Jesus is looking at when he looks at his church is, I'm looking at your heart. What's the heartbeat? I mean, I, I would ask that question if Jesus, Jesus were standing in front of me, I'd say, you can see it. You can see it better than any of us in this room. What's the heartbeat of this church? What's it like? Okay. His feet are described as looking like bronished, burnished bronze, right? And so you, you have this refiner who, who also has refined feet. So from head to, to bottom, what is he about? He's about making us new people, right? And so when, when this starts off, theatera, this is who's speaking to you, the one who comes to refine the lives of his people. Now, the commendation that he gives to Theatera is really strong. There's a lot that this church is doing right. Okay, so let me just walk through this. We'll read it, then I'm going to walk through it. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and servant and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. All right, that's all commendation language. Just think about what he's saying, because this is what the Son of God, with eyes that purify, look for in his church. The first thing is works, right? And we've talked about this. Not just talk, but works, all right? Uh, what is coming out of your faith? And how is that impacting uh, people's lives? Um, so he's saying you, you have, uh, this church has a history of, of strong works on behalf of the kingdom. They're coupled with, notice this next word, love. Uh, remember when we studied the church in Ephesus? They had a lot of works. They were commended for that. But what were they lacking? You have lost your first love. Let me try to put this together for you in a little bit, little bit of a way. If I'm looking at your heart and I see that you have lots of works, you're doing a lot of good things. Okay. The question underneath that is, why are you doing these things? Okay. Why does someone like Bill Gates... Or Warren Buffett get together and give away a billion dollars? Okay. What's underneath it? I'm not going to try to judge those people, but that's the question, right? Why do you do it? Does this make sense to a lot of you that sometimes even churches will try to do things so that they can do this? Oh, yeah. Right? And so what he's really saying here is when I look at you and I see who you are, what I see is a group of people who are doing works of the kingdom, but not, not so that you can pet yourself on the back, but why? Because you are doing what you're doing out of love. Okay. This humbles me. I'm just speaking as a person right now. That um, I'll ask myself sometimes this question is, do I really love people the way Jesus does? 
And you know, you know what the answer is quite often? No. You know, I'll, I'll see broken people, and there's times it's easy for me to do what? Just walk on by. And I think about a Jesus who is so intent on one thing, and that's just bringing people into a relationship with him. And, and how do I live that out? Well, I think it really does start with this, this prayer to the Lord that says, God, give, give me and give our, our church, our body, an honest love for the people of the community that we serve. We care about you. Okay? Um, works without love. Remember 1 Corinthians 13 says, works without love, they're like what? Just a gong, a noisy symbol in God's ears. It says, what I see through is your heart. And so this church is being commended because they have works, but they're motivated not, not by what are we going to get out of it, but because we love people. They have faith and they have service, all right? So um, this, is a, this is a church that's, that's living in a way that says we, we believe that whatever God calls us to, God will supply. Whatever he calls us to, he will supply. I kind of put these two together, faith and service. The word for service in Greek is kind of an interesting word, diakoneus. It's the word we get the word deacon from. You know, if you hear the word deacon or deaconess, all right? And, and literally what it means is, is, is you, you, you take off your, uh, your, your rights, you surrender them, and you put on that loincloth and you, you serve the community around you. And I believe that that actually goes together with faith. Let me kind of describe that for you for a minute. Um, first time I really recognized this and what it, what it means, um, I saw a billboard. And a church had taken out the billboard. And you, know, you think about most billboards for churches, um, what are they advertising? What do they look like? Most billboards that churches put up, what, what are they saying? Come to, come to our church, right? They're not really saying it, but most billboards for churches are, are actually saying what? We're the best church. Come to ours, right? So this church, it was in Florida, took out a little bit different kind of billboard. You know what their billboard said? We apologize. We've been jerks. Like What? What kind of a billboard is that? Okay. So um, the local newspaper, they, they interviewed the, the pastor of the church and, and what he basically said, he said, you know, we've been in this community for a long time and here's what we haven't done. We really honestly haven't done very much for the community at all. And we're, we're putting up this billboard because we want to say that we recognize that a church, the body of Christ, <clears throat> should never exist inside of a community without impacting that, that community and serving the needs of people in it. And we're apologizing. And we're saying we're going to turn over a new leaf and we're going to become a new body of people. That, to me, is a, is a beautiful, beautiful picture of what happens when a body of people say, let's not worry about us. Let's not worry about all the stuff that we tend to think of. But let's look beyond us and let's recognize that living all around us are people who are broken, hopeless, and have need, and let's give ourselves to actually serving them. Litmus test. I tell churches this all the time. Litmus test for the church is very simply this. If your church were to be extracted from the city tomorrow like that, if Peace Lutheran Church were gone, boom, 
tomorrow? What impact would it have on the community? How many people would say, oh, no, oh, no, 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 not that? It's a litmus test because it kind of comes back to that idea that here's this little body of people in theatra, and what Jesus is recognizing is you're intent on what? Serving the kingdom, growing the kingdom of God. Why? Because you love people. And what are you doing? You're doing these acts of service in our community. And if you start to engage in that, guess what it's going to take? A lot of faith. I remember the first time that uh, we started talking a lot about um, going out into the community that we were, we were put in uh, as a church and, and actually serving it. And we started talking about planting missionaries. And um, I remember the discussion because it was, it was kind of intense. Um, a lot of people didn't understand it. We said, you know what? We've got all these people living around us in, in apartment buildings. And um, here's the problem is most of them are unchurched. About 95% of people that live in apartments across the United States are unchurched. Just a statistic. And so we so we've got all these little apartments around us, and we can go to them, and we can do we can be like, hey, we did this little thing, bye. And we can come back, hey, we did this little thing, bye. But we're not changing lives, and we're not really serving them. So so the only way we're really going to serve them is we've got to plant missionaries inside of those communities. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to come to people and we're going to say, look, if, you, if you'll be a missionary, if you'll come serve at this thing, we'll, we'll pay for your apartment. You can keep your day job, do whatever you want to do. But we need you to, to come, come together with a core group of people and serve the people in this community every single day of the week. Get to know them. Get to understand their needs. Help us know what those needs are. Share the gospel in an incarnational way. And we as a body will come around you and we will serve this thing together. Okay? I remember the first missionaries that we ended up contacting, actually they contacted us, were from Nebraska. And uh, my phone rang and this little couple said, we're moving to Texas. And I said, oh, hey, good. Well, we're going to be looking for a church. We just want to let you know that. And, uh, you know, we're going to stop by and visit your church. Now, me, I'm kind of a cynical guy. I'm thinking, good luck with that. Because, you know, I, in my, by my definition, a church is just a group of people, right? So you're going to stop by and visit the church. You're going to have to visit a lot of people, right? We had a little bit of a conversation, and uh, at the end of our conversation, I wrote down these words on a sheet of paper. These are our first missionaries. I don't know why I wrote that down. Uh, I just wrote it down. So, they move, are moving to the town, and they get there, and they stop by my, our, my office, and they said, hey, remember we're the ones that called you on the phone, and we started to talk to you. We'd like to, we'd like to know a little bit about your church, and so forth. I said, well... I'm not really that interested in telling you a whole lot about it. I mean, I can tell you what goes on, but if, if, you're, if you're just looking for some place to just kind of worship and then go eat, eat it at some restaurant, what's that about? So I described our community. This is a community that we live in, and I want you to pray about something. I want you to pray about moving into these apartments. 
what? We're coming to North Dallas. I mean, this is a ritzy area. They got nice houses and all that. You want us to look at an apartment? What kind of apartment is it? I said, well, it's a really nice one. Uh, the police tell us that there's prostitution, <laughs> drugs, and gunshots that are going on all the time. They're like, what? You want us to move into that? We're like, yes, we do. I would like to see you move into that. They're like, you've got to be kidding me. I went, no, I'm not kidding you. I remember they went to the apartment and they started to walk around. And the Holy Spirit just let them to pray. Just pray. And um, that same day as they're walking around, this husband and this wife look at each other and they say, we're the only old white people in this whole place. <laughs> and that insane pastor wants us to move here. <laughs> they walk into the, the leasing business and they said, we'd like to lease an apartment. And the apartment manager looked at them and said, you won't fit. They said, we know we won't fit, but we want to lease an apartment here because we feel like God is calling us here. They, said, they looked at him, they okay. okay. They moved in and kept a journal. And for 18 months, they wrote down things like, sure enough, gunshots tonight. Watched a drug deal go down. Saw a person that came in really beat up. Heard some screaming coming from one of the apartments. 18 months Journal page after journal page after journal page. After 18 months, the police, the local police, called us into the office of the apartment building and said, it has been six months since we've had one single incidence in this apartment building. That has never happened before. We said, when light encounters darkness, light wins. Very costly, listen to me, very costly to plant missionaries in apartments. Not just money, but what? I'm putting my life at risk. And so what I want you to see when you hear this church theatera is why would you do that? There's only one reason. You never do that to, to get credit for yourself. Look, these folks did not ever say, hey, we want to be in the newspaper, or we want to plaque up on the wall, or none of it. You do that because somehow the love of God gets in you, and you say to yourself, there are people in this community who need hope. They don't have it. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go serve them. And you serve them with your life, and what Jesus is saying to this church in Theatera is, when I watch you, here's what's happening is, you're serving this community, and you're doing it out of love, and it requires faith. It absolutely requires faith. Because one of the hardest things in the world to do is to serve messy people who aren't like you or me. And you want a lot of your time, and they want a lot of your, a lot of you, and you pour yourself into it. And what Jesus is saying is, that's what the church should look like. A body of people who are sold out to the gospel, who submit themselves before me, and who say, Lord, help us know how best to serve this community. When I think of Peace Lutheran, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm rejoicing in is, I, I hope when you, if you take one of those little Buckets that Rachel put together for collage. You don't, you don't take it home and go, okay, just uh, pray over it. But every one of those buckets is a woman, probably a single mom, 
who made a really tough choice. And the choice that they made was, I'm not going to have an abortion. I'm going to have this child. And we know nothing about their families, but I can pretty well tell you that there's a lot of families out there that say, yeah, we'll help you the best we can. They're poor. They're poor. And so when you're buying a pack of diapers and you're, you're putting it in a pail and, and, and some wipes and some, some just pray over that. Stop and say, you know what? There's somebody behind this thing. I may not know them, but you know what? We are going to do everything we can do to serve this community because I, I believe that in the end, if a church is taken out of a community like that, the community should feel it. They should say, wait a minute. Not them. Not that body of people. That body cares about us. And so I think that uh, commendation is, is important to look at. The other uh, two things that you see here in this commendation is you also have, and we've seen this before, patient endurance. It, it all goes together. You're going to serve people. It's going to require a lot of faith. It's going to require a lot of patience and endurance. And that endurance is not something that's inside of me. I run out of endurance. It's something that God gives to you. Uh, the Greek word hypomene means I'm, I'm underneath this weight and God is actually supplying me with everything that I need. Um, for me, it's, it's a prostitute who is on meth. And the first day I meet her, she's paranoid because meth makes you highly paranoid. And then comes the day that she says, I want out. I want out of this jail I'm in. Meth is killing me. You know how long it took her before she really wanted out? Two years. And serving her was hard stuff. Very messy. Phone calls at 2, 3 in the morning. Crazy stuff going on. I need help. I got beat up by this guy because I slept with him. And he didn't pay me. And I yelled. And he beat me up. And I can It's all of that garbage. It's patiently coming back time and time again and not giving up on that person but saying, only Jesus Christ can set you free from this. Only Jesus Christ. That's patient endurance. And this church is pouring that in. Now, greatest commendation that Jesus gives to the church in Theatra are these next words. That your latter works exceed the first. I'll put that into two contexts. One is Florida, where my good friend Dave Albers lives and does ministry. And he's frustrated to the point where in the last probably five years, um, he's my age, he said to me, I want to quit. I just want to give up on ministry. I'm like, why? Well, the one thing that he hears over and over and over again, he's in Florida, is he meets up with people and he says, we've got to serve this community. And guess, guess what the people like to say to him? We've already served the church. We did that. We did it when we were younger. Let someone else do it. Okay. It is an older congregation, right? I mean, when Ann and I visit, when I walk in the doors, they look at me and they're like, you're the acolyte. You know, you're, you're young. <laughs> I'm like, oh, seriously, Okay. <laughs> Churches, when they start off, 
You know, churches, when they start off, they usually start off with a bang. If you've ever been involved in a church start, I mean, it is exciting because you're living on that edge. You're living on adrenaline. You're like, are we going to make it even this next week? You've got faith. You're holding on. Jesus is holding on to you. And then something happens as the church begins to grow up. How many of you have witnessed this? That churches can grow up, and the more they grow, guess what? The less they do. And they become kind of set in their ways. Yeah, we do a few things. This is a church. I think this is one of the greatest commendations of the New Testament where Jesus looks at it and says, when I look at you, here's what I see. You're a body of people who fell in love with me. And you engaged yourself in this community that you're a part of. And it takes faith and it takes patience. But here's the result of it is, instead of your, your light burning out, it's glowing even brighter. And here's the secret, I think, for churches, is if you will engage and invest yourself in serving the community around you, not, not for yourself. Trust me, if you do it for yourself, Peace is going to go make a name for itself. I, I just, it just drives me crazy. How many churches, we're going to put, we're going to put a branch over there and a branch over there and a branch over there so we can have a bunch of branches. I'm like, what are you doing? Serve the community and the needs of people that are in the community with no strings attached. And I guarantee you what will happen to you is it will light a flame, a fire inside of you that just burns bright. And so that's what he's saying to Theatra is, this is what I see when I look at you with these eyes that purify. And then comes the, the critical word, right? The turn word. But. <coughs> this is kind of interesting stuff, what happens next. He says, here's what's happening amongst you. <coughs> I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. What's going on there? Well, I think to really understand it, you've got to do a little bit of digging. And um, that's the intention of the revelation is it always takes you back into the Old Testament and uses symbols from the Old Testament to paint a picture of what's going on in the current time. And so when he goes back into the Old Testament, he says, here's what I'm seeing when I look at you. I'm seeing a Jezebel, right? So who is she? Well, most of us know the name. Her story is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 16, if you want to flip over there for just a minute. 1 Kings chapter 16. If you go to verse 29, you have the beginning of the reign of Ahab. 1 Kings 16, beginning verse 29. And you get a little bit of a picture of this woman. It says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria for 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. When you read the kings, and you start to take a look at who the kings were, you find out pretty quickly that there were very few kings who did good before the Lord. And so when you make a statement like this, that Ahab did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all of the other kings that came before him, that's a mouthful. 
right? So what did he do? Verse 31 says, And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. Okay, so Jezebel is a Sidonian princess. And he went and he served Baal and he worshipped him. Okay, let me draw a little picture for you up here. When you become king in Israel, you have one job, right? To maintain the covenant that God has made with Israel. Remember when God chose Israel to be his people, he says, I'm making you my people, not based upon who you are, not based upon what you've done, not based upon what you're going to do. I'm just choosing you. <coughs> Makes a covenant with them, right? It's called a Susandry covenant. It's one-sided. It's not a covenant that says, if you do this, I'll do this. No, it's one-sided. It's God says, I'll be... I'll be your God, you'll be my people, just because I choose that to happen, right? It's, it's not conditional. The king's job is to maintain the covenant relationship that God puts into place with Israel through things like the law and the sacrifices and the, the, the feast system, so that Israel can do what? Serve the community, right? Bring others to know Jesus Christ. So if you think about it, let's kind of just draw this circle and it's unbroken and that unbroken circle represents the covenant that God has made with us. So I've always thought it's kind of interesting that, um, you know, for, for Jews, when they receive the sign of the covenant upon their bodies, remember what that sign was? It's kind of circular, wasn't it? Right? Remember where they received that sign? You guys just don't want to embarrass yourselves. You remember where they received that sign, right? Circumcised. Okay. You ever think of why? Why that? Why it's circumcised? People get mad at me when I say this. I'm like, it's not sexual. It has nothing to do with sex. It's covenantal. It goes back to the promise. What was the promise that God made to Adam in the garden? Through your seed, one will be born who will crush the head of the enemy. The sign of the covenant is placed upon the part that produces the seed. See what? See that? Okay. Now, the covenant is set up in such a way that you are not to bring into, you are not to bring into this nation, people from outside of this nation, because they will corrupt my purpose. You may not marry people outside of Israel. The king's job is to maintain this circle, this covenant, okay? So let's kind of paint a word picture. Let, let's just pretend for a minute that um, we're a drug company, okay? And we're producing a new drug. And the drug that we're going to produce, we're going to produce pills that automatically make you Lutheran, all right? If you take this pill, I mean, you'll pop the pill, the next minute you'll be able to recite the Ten Commandments with their meanings, all right? And the Apostles' Creed, you'll know all of that stuff, all right? So we're making this pill, the Lutheran pill. Uh, so what happens is we, we get in this room together and this room is sealed off and we're wearing hazmat suits because when you make a medication, you, you do that under very controlled circumstances, right? You don't want lint or junk to get into your room. So if you've ever watched them make a drug, I mean, they do it in a very isolated way, right? Because you don't want to let into that space something that will corrupt it. Well, this is kind of an interesting phrase. When, when the revelation says... When Jesus says, 
you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Okay? He's taking you back into the Old Testament. And he's using this Greek word, and it's kind of an interesting word. The word is off face. Off face. Okay? So it has two parts to it. Off ace. Oppo ace. Okay? If you put them together, you would say it's something like that. When something that is upon you enters into you, into that space. Something that should remain off outside of you enters in, ace. That's, that's the meaning of the phrase you tolerate. Something that should remain outside of you has now entered into you. This space, this holy space has now been invaded by Jezebel. Jezebel has come into this space. How does she come in? The king who's supposed to maintain this covenantal space is the one who lets her in. He marries her. Tolerance always begins with something very, very, very tiny. And it'll always grow to corrupt the whole. Right? You know, when I think about this, I think about it with our, our homes. I really do think about this a lot. And, and our own lives. We're covenantal people to this day. And so what God says is, I've set you apart to be my body. Don't let into your, your homes, don't let into your, your minds, don't let into your heart. Those things that will do what? Will separate us from one another. And so what do we do? We practice tolerance. That which is upon us, we allow in. And we say to ourselves, it's no big deal. Right? It starts off with little simple things. Mom, Dad, we want to download that movie and watch it tonight. Just a little thing. That which is upon me enters in. Does it have an effect? No, it doesn't have an effect. Just a little movie, right? I remember my kids when they were young. Uh, they signed up for, I'm just using them as an example because I can pick on them. They signed up for, I remember them signing up, Mom, Dad, there's this wonderful deal. If we sign up for this, we get six free CDs. And the minute your kids say that to you as a parent, you're like, <laughs> you're going to learn the hard way, aren't you? And we're like, oh, six, that sounds like a pretty awesome deal. Then what happens? Well, then we can cancel any time we want, but they send us a new one every month, right? And they're only like $25 when they send them, you know, and I mean, and you're like, Okay, are you going to cancel? Oh, yeah, we'll cancel that thing. Okay, so we said, all right, here's our home. Our home, we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, so here's the deal. You can order those CDs. You can let them come in. We just have to look at the lyrics. We're going to approve them or disapprove them, and that's the deal. Okay. They went for that. So, a few months after the free ones came and new ones started coming, a box comes. And I can tell the kids are kind of nervous about this box coming. So I open it. So there's a little CD in it, and the guy who's singing the songs, his name is Usher. My son says, we have ushers in church. <laughs> I see no... <laughs> I say to him, this is very true, but this particular usher, he's not coming into our home, but I should be able to do whatever I want. It's my money I ordered. I should be able to do that. I said, absolutely, you're going to be able to do that. If you would like to do that, here's what's going to happen is you become your own parent right now. You can do whatever you want. You need to find a place to live. Create your own home. 
probably need a car to drive at least at some point. And uh, some insurance, so please do that. But as long as I have to be the parent, here's, what, here's the deal. He's not coming in our home. Now, that's just little stuff, right? But it doesn't take long before you can start to add up all the stuff that happens in our lives every single day. Should I or should I not pick up that Sports Illustrated thing and look at it? I mean, it's just daily decisions. So Jezebel has come into the picture. Now, in the Revelation, this particular Jezebel, it's not Jezebel. Jezebel's been long dead, right? So she's now a symbol for some woman who has come into the church. And what is the woman doing? The woman is teaching two things to the people in the church. She's teaching them, literally teaching them, what the Bible calls sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Now, if you're like me, when I first read this, I don't get it. I really don't. When you first read this, you say to yourself, what, who in the church, who, who in the world in the church would allow someone to come into the church that's teaching that sexual immorality is okay? We, we wouldn't do that. I mean, if somebody came, you know, and said, hey, Pastor Luke, Pastor Mike, Pastor Carl, we'd like to teach a class on sex, that it's good to have sex with multiple partners. Would we just say, oh, yeah, hey, that'd be great. Is it illustrated? I mean, we're, no, we're not going to do that. How is this happening in the church? I think that uh, the first time I stepped onto the soil of Corinth, Corinth, boom. It made more sense to me. Okay. Corinth is a port town, and you look at the water, it's the Mediterranean, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And when the ships would come in, the men would get off of the ships, and you walk down, when you're walking into Corinth, you walk down this beautiful marble columned hallway, and they treat you like you are a king. And you look up, and every town in Rome has what they call an Acropolis, right? Acro, Palace, the height of the city. It's the highest place that you can put a building and still be able to get water. So in Corinth, you look up at this Acropolis, and what do you see? Well, it's a temple that's dedicated to the gods. And what's happening in that temple every single day is sex. That's what's going on. The women are coming down from that temple into the streets when the ships arrive. Sounds a little bit like Las Vegas. Stamped on their sandals that they wear are two words. I'll just say them in English. Wherever they walk, they imprint into the dust. You know what it says? Follow me. Very much contrasts with a little rabbi who came into town and said, no, follow me. Why are you having sex in church? Here's the thought. The Roman and Greek thought was that the divine, the divine, can be interacted with through the act of sex. They believed that when a human being reached that point, right, that their, their physical was no longer right, in control, and that their spiritual actually intersected with the divine. That's why they're doing it. Okay? They're doing it as a practice to 
foreign pagan gods. Same thing happened when Jezebel came into the life of Ahab. Baal is a, what, a fertility god, accompanied by Asherah, his female partner. And the whole idea behind Baal worship is what? Fertility. And so it's a spiritual act, this whole act of, of coming together, this meeting together with the divine. Okay. Well, certainly the Christians didn't buy into that. Mm. There's a sect of the Christians who got caught up, when you look at early church history, in something called Gnosticism. Okay. Gnosticism uh, is a, a cult, if you will, that existed in that first apostolic period that had two, di two different components to it. One group of Gnostics said this, everything in the flesh is bad and evil. So crucify your flesh. Put it to death. A lot of Roman Catholic flagellation is derived from, is derivative from that whole way of thinking about our flesh as evil. I'll beat myself in order to punish my flesh so that it doesn't participate in the, in the, in the evil. That's one side. The other side of Gnosticism, it's kind of interesting, was a group that said this. The physical part of you doesn't matter at all. The only thing that really matters is your spiritual being inside. And so you can do things physically that won't hurt you spiritually. And so what you have is you, you have a woman who's coming into the church and she is really a prophet, I believe, of a form of Gnosticism that is saying to the Christians, you follow Jesus Christ not in your flesh but in your spirit and so it's okay for you to participate in this pagan rite because what we believe is different than the pagans believe. And you can eat their food sacrificed to idols because we don't believe there are such things as idols. So it's okay to eat it because you're really participating in the divine. And it's okay to have this ritualistic sex because all you're really doing is releasing your spirit to join together with God. That's what she's teaching in the church. And what Jesus is saying to the church is you are now tolerating the same thing that Ahab tolerated when he allowed Jezebel into the covenantal circle and until you get that out of the circle, until that is removed from the church, it will destroy you. Okay. Take-home lesson, and then we'll close. Something I like to ask every church. What is happening, what is being tolerated in the church today, that if it remains, it will destroy the church's ability to function as a servant to the community? What is it? We have all different things that we let into this circle. Pride, jealousy, gossip, all come into the circle. You know what they do to churches? Destroy them. And so one of the things that you want to look at when you're looking at theatra is um, it's unimaginable to us that you have a woman in this church who's leading people astray. But it's happening. For us, it's maybe not a Jezebel. But the question on the table is where are those places where there's something being tolerated that will prevent you really from becoming who God has called you to be. What is it? Is it your political system? Is it lethargy? What is it that will prevent you? It's the take-home from Theatra. Let's stop there.